Hopefully you've got your notes. Um, this, uh, <clears throat> this week uh, we're looking at uh, Deuteronomy 31, and it's just this one chapter. It's interesting, you know, how the, the year winds down, uh, and so do these long portions, which I praise the Lord for because I really like to dive into the text. Um, this one's entitled, uh, And He Went Out, and it's talking about Moses, and we've got these first three verses here. And we'll read through this and then uh, say a, a quick prayer and ask the Lord to, to bless us. Uh, in verse 1 here in Deuteronomy 31, it says, And Moshe went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old. I am no longer able to go out and come in. And Yehovah said to me, You do not pass over this Yardan, the Jordan. Yahovah, your Elohim himself, is passing over before you. He shall destroy these nations from before you, and you possess them. Yahashua, or Joshua, himself is passing over before you as Yahovah has spoken. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, I pray that you would bless the reading and study of your word and Lord, you really would put it within our mouths and our hearts and that it would change us from the inside out and we would be different. We would learn how to love you better. Uh, we would learn how to be a better witness for you and a better testimony of your grace and mercy. And we pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So once again, I've got this outline for you out of this book, uh, Deuteronomy Walk. Uh, this one's Deuteronomy uh, for your notes, just if you want to go home and look at this some more and look at it underneath these categories. You jump down towards the end of the, uh, the bottom of that page one. Actually, let, let me back up for a second here because I, I, I tried to highlight it in reading it, but I want to make sure you caught that. So Moses, <clears throat> this is when uh, he's going to turn over uh, by God's decree the leadership to Joshua or Yahashua, which is Yeshua's name. Um, and he says, look, I'm 120 years old and I can't go in and out. And what he's talking about there, he's not talking about going in and out of the tabernacle and before God, because obviously he's talking to God and going in and out. What he's talking about is he can't go in and out with them when they're getting into battle and other things. And he is, you know, he's 120 years old. But he makes this comment in verse 3 that's real important, and it really uh, encapsulates this chapter, I think, uh, exceedingly well, because it says, Yahovah, your, your Elohim himself is passing over before you, and he shall destroy these nations from before you. So it's this issue of, here's what you need to remember, <clears throat> that your God is God. And Yahovah himself is going to go over the, Gar the Jordan River, though that's the way we say it, the Yardan. <clears throat> He's going to cross over with you and before you, and He's the one that's going to crush these nations. Don't forget that. That's going to come up numerous times in this passage about <clears throat> the interaction and the, the personal interaction of God with His people and their inability to remember that. So let's go down into verse 4. This is when he says to him, and this is picking up on this same idea, 
And Yahovah shall do to them as he did to Sihon and to Og, the sovereigns or kings of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. So he's reminding them, and he says, now listen, <clears throat> God's going to do to these people the same thing he did to these other two kings. And the reason we're here today is because your own fathers were scared to deal with these people. And so God basically let us die in the wilderness. But now you've grown up. It's now been nearly 40 years since that event. And so now they are grown men, grown people, and they've already experienced God's victories over some of these giants that their, forefather, that their fathers were scared of and their parents were scared of and said, our own children will become their food. So I've got these passages for you here in Numbers where it relates this when, of, of it happening, which we've already covered in our studies, but here it is. In Numbers 21, starting with verse 21, it says, And Israel sent messengers to Sahan, sovereign of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We shall not turn to, into the fields or the vineyards. We shall not drink from the water of the wells. But go by the sovereign's highway, the king's highway, until we've passed over your borders. And look, we're not even going to get off the road. We're not going to eat anything out in the fields, not from the vineyards, not from the grains, nothing. We're not even going to drink from your well. Just let us walk through here. But Sihon would not listen to Israel to pass through his border, would not allow them to pass through his border. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Yahat's and fought against Israel. Turn the page. And Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Yabbok as, as far as the children of Ammon and, and for the border of the children of Ammon. Because the border of the children of Ammon, it was a strong border. You go down to verse 33 and it says, uh, Now here's Israel. They turned and went up by way of Bashan. <clears throat> and Og, sovereign of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his peoples, to battle at Edriah. And Yahovah said to Moshe, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, sovereign of the Amorites, who dwell at Heshbon. And they smote him and his sons and all his people until no remnant was left to him, and they took possession of his land. So here's two points. You might want to jot this down somewhere on your notes. <clears throat> two points in Moses bringing this out. Number one, they'd already faced giants up to now. They haven't actually crossed over the Jordan River yet, but they've already faced two giant clans with Og and Sihon. And they've already been victorious over them. And they've been victorious because God is the one that did it. And God is telling them now, <clears throat> first of all, you've already been here. And I've already proven myself faithful to you. So don't be fearful when you cross over. We're going to see this in his challenge to the people of Israel and to Joshua. So the number one, that they needed to basically... Um, no, they, they, they need to march in based on their, their experience that they've already had with what God has already done. Secondly, he's challenging them, quote unquote, to remember this. Keep it to mind and remember. Folks, 
if you don't know where you've come from, you really don't know where you're going. You think you could be going forward, but if you don't know where you're coming from, you could be going where you came from. Now, I know that might sound like it's twisted, but it's actually correct. If you don't know really where you came from, you could think you're going forward, not realizing you're going right back where you came from. Um, the whole thing about repentance called teshuva is to turn around. And it doesn't mean just change direction. It means to turn around and go back where you came from, which is where we get the word repentance. So they, they've already been here, and number two, they needed to remember it. <clears throat> this is where you get to verse 6 in Deuteronomy 31, and this is what he says to them. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Do not, be, do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For it is Yahovah, your Elohim, who is going with you. He does not fail you nor forsake you. <clears throat> How often do we constantly think that um, it's by our might, our own power, or our own reasoning, or our own logistics? The list goes on and on that we're successful or whatever, and we're forgetting that it's the Lord our God that's literally directing our paths. I really wasn't joking before service started tonight, and I was talking to some folks, and I said, how crazy would it be that, and this has been a concern of mine literally since we bought the place, since we moved in here, I, I said from day one, it would be nice to raise the money, pay off this mortgage, um, and spend that same amount of money on mission work. And those of you that have been here, you've heard me say this before. It'd be so great to be able to spend that same amount of money towards mission work instead of paying off a mortgage. And I said, how crazy would it be that four years ago, God goes, you know, I'm just going to send a bug to your backyard. I've done so much research on this. And... Uh, Everything I've seen as far as everybody that comes up with any solution for chigger bites, none of them really work. And I've tried them all. You know, everything from taking a bath and who knows what and using fingernail polish and iodine and taking a bath in Benadryl ointments and then waking up in the middle of the night putting more on because I'm bleeding on my legs and my ankles from scratching in the middle of the night. And out of just sheer desperation. And my wife goes, let me see what I can find. And she goes in, the, and it's in our kitchen. And throws it together, first rattle out of the bag, it works. Um, and then for us to talk about, you know, paying off the mortgage to the building, I went, yeah, why not? What? Wow, how cool would that be? Right? Um, because I used to complain to God and go, God, really? None of my neighbors get bit. We're all on the same field. I seem to be the only one out there complaining. And I'm like, I can go out there in the early summer and find them crawling on the drive, on my back porch, on the fence out 
in the field. I can see them going, no, you know. And they say, why don't you spray? And I go, spray what? <laughs> Where do you stop, you know? Um, and so I've done, you know, we put the sulfur out and everything else and dust my pants with sulfur and all of that stuff. And this stuff's like pure gold. It's, it's crazy. And I go, God, you know, you're, you're just incredible, you know. Um, sometimes we got to suffer a little bit before he shows us what the answer is. So he says, you know, you need to be, be strong and courageous because it's your God that's going with you. It's not up to you. Just be strong and courageous because it's your God that's with you. You get down to verse 7, it says, And Moshe called Joshua, or Joshua. Look what he says to him. And he does it in front of, the, so that everyone can see before all the eyes of Israel. What's he say to him? Same thing he said to Israel. Be strong and courageous, for you are going with this people to the land. Here it goes which Yahovah has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you are to let them inherit it. So what he's telling him is, is, listen, you're going to lead these people, but it's God doing it. And Joshua, when you get over there, you're going to be the one that's going to distribute the land to the people. You're going to be the instrument that's going to say, okay, Benjamin, you get this. Gad, you get this. Judah, you get this. Ephraim, you get this. It goes on and on, and he divided it all. It was Joshua, the one that was really doing all that. And that's what he's telling him. And then look what he says in verse 8. He says, and it is Yahovah who is going before you. Wow. He himself is with you. He does not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be discouraged. He's telling this to Joshua. He's the only one, him and Caleb are the only ones of that age with the spies. They were the only two that said, no, we can do this and we can take those giants. Nobody else is going to cross over that didn't die in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb, even Moses because of what he did. Isn't that amazing? And, and Joshua is the one that he's telling. Now, Joshua, don't be discouraged. Do not be fearful, but be encouraged and have great courage because Yahovah is going with you, and this is exactly what you're going to do. Why do you think he would have to say that to Moses? I mean, to Joshua. Well, even though Joshua had a lot of courage, he was also able to follow Moses' lead. But now he's fixing to be the one that's going to have to do the leading. Anybody here ever been fearful of having to finally step out and lead in something? Uh, and God goes, well, time to stretch you a little bit. Uh, time to step out. So <clears throat> you get down uh, to verse 10. And it says, And Moshe commanded them, saying... This is fascinating. Really, really cool. I know I say that every week, don't I? <laughs> Moshe commanded them and saying, at the end of seven years, at the appointed time, the year of release, at the Feast of Booths or Sukkot or Tabernacles, which we're about to celebrate in just a little over a week. 
It says, when all Israel comes to appear before Yahovah your Elohim in the place which he chooses, hasn't been chosen yet, but it will in the future. We know now that place is what? That place is Jerusalem, the place where he's going to cause his name to be remembered, not only then, but again in the future. It's a place where he's going to choose. And then he says, and read this Torah before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men, the women, the little ones, and your sojourner who is within your gates. I want to underline those. So that they hear and so that they learn to fear Yahovah your Elohim and guard to do all the words of this Torah. And then look at this. And he's, now he's going to explain this a little bit. We're going to dive into this in just a second. And their children who have not known it should hear... And learn to fear Yahovah your Elohim as long as you live in the land you are passing over the Yardan to possess. So here's what he's telling them. Look, everybody's going to be called in the, in the Torah. They're told, uh, called out to have three pilgrimage festivals out of the seven. Passover. Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and Feast of Booths, or Sukkot. Three times a year, people are required to go to Jerusalem, the place where he chooses, and they're to worship God and celebrate these appointed times as a recital before God there in Jerusalem. And so this is, he says, <clears throat> this is, there's something that's supposed to happen especially at the Feast of Booths, once every seven years. That year would be the year of the Shemitah. The Shemitah year happens every seven years. And it's a year when these debts were released. <clears throat> um, and uh, their debts were released. God's economy is really set up perfect. And so he said, so this is what you're to do. You're to do this on that year, and you are to assemble everyone, men, women, children, and even the sojourner. Fascinating, right? And so then he says, and this is why, because you're to read this Torah, the common thought is that he's talking about this one. Maybe not necessarily all five books, but at least the book of Deuteronomy. Some say that, yes, it was all five books. And they were to do it over a seven-day period, and that's why. But they were to read it. Um, so <clears throat> they were to gather everybody, because keep in mind... People didn't have this. They didn't have this. They didn't have this. And they definitely didn't have this. Right? Um, you didn't have a scroll or a 
something with writing on it, typically in your common house, because they were all handwritten and expensive. And especially the Torah uh, would have been extremely expensive because it's just gone over so carefully, so meticulously by the scribes to make sure it's not done incorrectly because after all it is God's Word, right? So what he said, so here's the solution. <clears throat> Every seven years you gather everybody during the Feast of Booths because everybody's going to come, right? They're supposed to. But this, the, the plan was everybody's going to be there, and you're to assemble everybody, and everybody is to hear the reading of this Torah. Why? So that they'll learn what it says and learn to fear God and learn that they are to guard, which we use the word keep. They are to guard, protect, elevate as authoritative in their life and plan on doing the words of this Torah. And he says, because look... <clears throat> There are going to be some children, verse 13, and they're children who haven't known it. In other words, they're now what? They're now at least going to be seven years old. At the very least. They're at least, you know, they're going to be seven years old and they're going to hear it. Um, and they're going to learn. Because that's going to be their one main time when they can hear all this talk to their parents and say, and so why are we here? What are we doing? Oh, that's what God did? Oh, okay. So God is the one that did it. That's how we got here. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we're serving Him and worshiping Him this way. This is why we traveled so far to do all of this, uh, to serve our God who is God, and it was God's way to train them and show them. And isn't it fascinating that even before they get into Israel, God says, this isn't just Jewish. Right? Isn't that what He said? This is for you, your children, your wives, and even the sojourner that has decided to stay within your gates and live among you. Who's that sound like? Didn't the Apostle Paul say we've been grafted in? Um, <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's, let's go on. Let's get to verse 16. This is, uh, I say it every time, don't I? This is amazing. <laughs> verse 16, And Yehovah said to Moses, See, you're about to sleep with your fathers. And this people shall rise up and whore after the mighty ones of the strangers of the land into the midst of which they shall enter. They're going to forsake me, break my covenant, which I've made with them. Then my displeasure shall burn against them in that day, and I shall forsake them and hide my face from them. And they shall be consumed, and many evils and distress shall come upon them. And it shall be said in that day, is it not because our Elohim is not in our midst that all these evils have come upon us. Before you turn the page, <clears throat> how old is Moses? He's 120 years old. Went out in the wilderness for 40 years. God speaks to him. He goes back, becomes, if you will, the deliverer, leads the people of Israel out. They part the Red Sea, walk through the Red Sea, make it to Mount Sinai. 
people do their thing. They revolt. They make the golden calf. You know, has to get the law again. The ground consumes them. Serpents come and get them. They bellyache because they don't have enough or the right kind of food. God gives them enough quail that's coming out their ears and their nose. They bellyache because they don't have water and he splits the rock. List goes on and on and on. They finally make it to the Jordan River. They're going to cross over. Moses' work is done. God goes, now Moses, here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> you're going to come up on this mountain and you're going to die. You're going to sleep with your fathers. These people you've been working with now for over 40 years are going to cross to the Jordan and they're going to go after other gods. They're going to revolt against me and I'm going to judge them. I mean, you've worked on a project for 40 years. You've been training people for 40 years. They're about to go in and take possession of the land finally. And what God tells you is you're going to die and they're going to rebel. I'd be a little ticked off, <laughs> wouldn't you? I mean, I wouldn't be too happy. Well, you're going to see where Moses isn't happy. I can just imagine. It's like, what? I mean, God, couldn't you have at least, I don't know, lied to me or something, say, hey, good job, I'll take care of it from here or something. But he goes, no, here's what's going to happen. You're, Moses, you're going to die, and this is what's going to happen with them. Now, why would God do that? Well, because he's prophesying what's about to happen. It's a prophecy. And it actually is extremely important. We've been over it a number of times. At Sukkot, we're going to go over these details. We're going to give you the book, at least a manuscript of it. It'll have Bible studies that'll go with each chapter. And we're going to cover why some of this stuff is so important. <clears throat> um, but I want you to see something, because in here is a play on words. Do you remember me saying not long ago, <clears throat> I probably said it a lot lately going through this, these texts, that God gives you what you ask for and that actually the curses or whatever of not following what God said is us actually simply getting what we've asked for or what we've done. Instead of, it's not so much, okay, if you do this, then I'm, let me see, how can I spank you? It's not like that. It's like, okay, I'm just simply going to give you what you asked for and I'm going to give you back what you've done. I'm going to give it back to you. And I'm going to say it again, folks. And I try, I'm trying even harder and harder now to not get um, undone. This is why abortion is out of the pit of hell and why destruction is coming. It has defiled our land all the way to our farms and the food we're eating in ways I won't cover right now, but you can let your imagination go because everything's in the water system and back into the land. You're shaking your head. I'm right, aren't I? 
It's defiled our land. It's defiled us. And that's why when the tribulation period hits, God's going to settle accounts because He cares about the children. They're innocent human beings murdered as images of God in an attack against His own image. Innocence. They can't defend themselves. Um, so this idea of <clears throat> getting what we've done and what we've asked for, and God goes, fine, that's what you want, then I'm going to give it to you. You said you wanted it. Here you go. So here he's, here's what he says to him. He says, <clears throat> these people are going to rise up. They're going to whore after mighty ones of the strangers of the land. They're going to go after these other gods. And then he says, and I highlighted it for you, but you might want to, just because I highlight things doesn't mean that you shouldn't do something. So you might want to circle it or write something down. But when, I, when I've got here, they and forsake me, you might want to put a circle around that or underline it or something. Because this is a play on words. This idea of forsaking me is literally they're going to turn their face and their bodies away from me. It's the picture of when, to forsake God means I'm going to turn my face and my back on what God said. And they're going to break my covenant which I made with them. So then look at what his response is. Then my displeasure is going to burn against them in that day and I shall forsake them. I'm going to turn my face, and he's going to, then he's, he's going to say that here in just a second. I'm literally going to turn my face from them. I'm literally not even going to look at what they're doing or hear what they're saying. Mm. And then he says, and hide my face from them. Folks, that's not just some kind of metaphor. He's saying, look, I'm going to make it where I can't even see you. You want those demons? You want to go, you want to, go to the dance? You, okay. This is the game they're playing over there. It's going to cost you, and it's going to cost you dearly. <clears throat> and then this is absolutely amazing because it says, and it's going to be said in that day, is it not because our Elohim is not in our midst that these evils have come, up, have come upon us? You know what's fascinating about that statement? That statement is said all the time today about the Jewish people for the last 2,000 years. It is at the heart of replacement theology. The reason Israel wasn't in the land for 2,000 years is because they murdered the Messiah because they turned from God and God's not with them anymore. And that's why he allowed the temple to be destroyed and he's done with them. He said it. He said, this is exactly what's going to be said and this is what you're going to say eventually. It's exactly what's been said and taught and in our doctrine, in Christian doctrine for now 2,000 years. You turn the page, you get to verse 18, and he says, And I shall certainly hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done 
Then look, here's where it says it again. It's this play on words, back and forth, back and forth. You're going to get what you ask for. For they shall turn to the other mighty ones. They're going to turn away from God, and they're going to turn towards these other gods. Grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, isn't it? My sheep are hilarious. I love this rain. Hallelujah. Got grass growing again. Sheep still sticking their heads through the fence to eat the grass over on the other side. They got, I don't know, two acres that they're eating on. Just those. And sticking their heads through the fence. I'm like, really? Okay. It's just, it's always greener on the other side. I'm just waiting to go out there one day and find one of them can't get his head back out. You know, because they keep just, you know, forcing it through there. And then look what he says here. In verse 19, he says, And now write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Now, you remember us talking about that? I think I talked about this even just last week. Put it in their mouths. Remember me talking about that? That God said, I'm going to do all these things and have you do these recitals so it will be in your mouth. Hopefully it's going to get into your heart. It's going to increase your faith. You're going to learn to fear me. And remember, it's all about me. I'm going to take care of it. Just do what I say. He goes, put it in their mouth so that this song is to me a wit- for a witness against the children of Israel. He says, I want you to put this in their mouths and I want you to tell them you need to recite this stuff. And they're going to be reciting it. It's part of the the annual, if you will, liturgy. They're going to recite this stuff, and it's going to be a testimony because it's literally coming out of their mouths that this is exactly what's going to happen, and it's going to happen. And these statements are going to be a testimony against them that what I said was the truth. He says, you're going to put it in their mouth so that the song is to me for a witness against the children of Israel. Look at this. And I shall bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers. And they're going to eat and they're going to be satisfied and be fat. Then they shall, there it is again, you see it? Then they shall turn to the other mighty ones and they shall serve them and scorn me and break my covenant. And it shall be when many evils and distress come upon them that this song shall answer before them as a witness, for it is not to be forgotten in the mouths of their seed, their children. They are not to forget this. Then look at what he says, for I know their thoughts which they are forming today. Even before I bring them to the land which I swore to give them. He's literally saying, I know that the seeds of these thoughts are already in their head and they haven't even crossed the Jordan yet. Of course, we're not like that, right? We never forget. We never put ourselves in front of God. You know, we never start making our own plans. Right? We never do that, right? God goes, I know exactly what's going through their head. Some of them probably already planning on, you know, what their farm's going to look like. You know, I'm going to go in there and we're going to take this and this and this. And I'm going to, I can't be the only one that's ever thought ahead trying to plan things, you know, how things are going to turn out, what you're going to do when such and such happens. 
Folks, that's not new. And they were doing it. Remember their father said that one of the reasons, one of the problems was they were focused on getting the land instead of walking with their God. And they said, you know, we're, we're not happy because you didn't give us the land you said you were going to give us. That's why they were in the wilderness. It showed us what was going on in the heart. <clears throat> and here God is saying, literally, I know, I know the seeds of their thoughts now, today, before they even cross over, it's already in their heart. It's already in them. It's already there. And then he tells him to do something fascinating because he says in, in verse 26, he goes, take this book of the Torah and you're to place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of Yahovah your Elohim and it shall be there <clears throat> as a witness against you. For I myself know your rebellion. Rebellion. Now, who's talking here? I skipped ahead. It might be a little bit hard to tell, but this is Moses now talking. <clears throat> this isn't God. This is now God has told him. He's like, okay, now you need to take this book. Most people think he's talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Wasn't placed inside the ark, but next to it. And you're to take this book, put it next to the ark, keep it next to the ark, because that book is going to be a witness against you for your rebellion that you're about to do. What was, what was the plan? Every time you guys show up, you should be seeing this, and it should strike fear in your heart. Sometimes you just have to get about 400 chigger bites to get it figured out. And I'm really not joking because you go, <clears throat> there was times like I'd, I'd go out and work in the morning, mow and do all this stuff out there, just get awful, sweaty, dirty. I'm like, I got to have chiggers on me. No telling. I'll go in and shower, clean up, scrub, put on clean clothes. Hopefully I've killed them. And then all of a sudden I go, oh, I'm not done. I got to go back out and do da 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 And I would sit there out of fear and go, I don't want to go back out. I don't want to go back out because I know, I know what's going to happen, right? Um, they've had all these chigger bites. And God's like, you need to see this so that you learn to fear and go, I don't want to go back to that. I don't, I don't, you don't, don't ever want to go back to that other stuff. And it's almost like saying, okay, let me get this straight. <clears throat> I raised you in Egypt, brought you out from Egypt by destroying those false gods, brought you into the wilderness and proved to you that I'm the only true God. You got scared, even though I showed you I'm the only... You walked across dry-shod the Red Sea, for crying out loud. I drowned Pharaoh's armies behind you, for crying out loud. Brought you to Mount Sinai, spoke to you myself, and it scared you. Took you through the wilderness all this time. Killed a few of the giant tribes left over from the Nephilim that you were scared of. 
some 13 plus feet tall beings. And you were scared of them. And I killed them in front of you. And you're going to go in there, and after all of that, you, you're going to want to go back to that. Really? Why would it be that they would want to go back to that? Because their kids wouldn't know what they went through. It's not just those parents, but it's the ones after them. The seed was already there, and that's why God was putting all this in place and saying, you're supposed to teach your children. And this is also why we do what we do here with our kids. Don't we have the coolest kids in this fellowship? I mean, guys are just awesome. <clears throat> and so the goal was to teach their children and so that their children would know where they came from so that they wouldn't go back and do those things, which is why rewriting history is dumb. It's just dumb. And you're, you're asking for trouble. You're just going to repeat it then. Anyways, uh, he, so in verse 27 says, For I myself know your rebellion, your stiff neck. See, while I'm still alive with you today and you have this rebellion against Yahweh, then how much more after my death? Been dealing with you all this time, self-centered, after all of this, and then what's going to happen after I'm gone? He's, he's like, yeah. obviously, it's, he knows. It's going to get worse because you're going to go in, you're going to conquer the land, then you're going to rebel against God, then God's going to basically rebel against you. You're going to turn from Him, so He's going to turn from you. So then look what He says, verse 28, Assemble unto me all the elders of your tribes, of your officers, so that I speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you shall do very corruptly and turn aside. Wow. From the way which I have commanded you, and evil shall come to you in the latter days, because you do what is evil in the eyes of Yahovah to provoke him through the work of your hands. <laughs> so he's saying, look, I want you to bring all your leadership here, and we need to have a little talk. We're going to go over this stuff. Why would he do that? Well, because the leaders were supposed to impart all this information and help people stay right before God. Plain and simple. <clears throat> What's fascinating here is that in this section, he really is talking about repentance. It's a challenge. He's like, look, I, choose life. Don't choose death. Choose life. You fast forward. This is where we come to the book of Hosea in the extra reading because this is Hosea was the prophet to the, the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, what they were doing. God literally told Hosea, you know what? You're going to marry a harlot. How would you like for God to tell you that? Here's your calling in life, Hosea. You're going to marry a harlot. She's going to have children. They're not going to be yours. And then this is what you're going to name them. Not my child and no mercy. Um which Peter 
quotes when we went through Peter. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. It's, it's the names of Hosea's kids. <clears throat> so this is uh, towards the end of Hosea. It's Hosea chapter 14. It's his first nine verses. And I want you to see some stuff here because he says, O Israel, return to Yahweh your Elohim, for you have stumbled by your crookedness. Isn't this exactly what he said in Deuteronomy was going to happen before they entered the land? This is now a long time past. <clears throat> they've been in the land. The land's divided, all this other stuff. Um, and they've sinned greatly. Verse 2, take words with you. Take these words, and you, this is what you need to be saying, and return to Yahovah, meaning Teshuvah, repent, return to God, and say to Him. Take these words, return to God, and say to Him, take away all the crookedness. Ashur, or Assyria, does not save us. We do not ride on horses, nor ever again do we say to the work of our hands, our mighty ones, for the fatherless finds compassion in you. So what's he saying here before I get too far? He's saying you need to repent and you need to say these things to him. Isn't that what, it, what Paul told us in Romans? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved because with a heart you believe resulting in righteousness and with your voice you confess resulting in salvation. So it's not, you cannot just have a, an intellectual agreement with something it has to be backed up with our words and our actions. I got saved out of a verse in the book of James, 119. It says, you believe that God is one and you do well, but the demons also believe and shudder. Salvation is not even offered to them. And as a teenager, I couldn't get down to that down the aisle fast enough to talk to Don Blackley, our youth minister, and I said, I've been raised in the church, but I just realized that it wasn't about what I thought I believed. I need to talk to somebody about Jesus. Went in a back room, got counseled, came back out, saved, never changed, never, never went back. Um, <clears throat> because I realized it wasn't about it, just an intellectual agreement with. It had to be a, a relationship. And so he says, this is what you're to do. <clears throat> Verse 4. Look at what he says, I shall heal their backsliding. I shall love them spontaneously. For my displeasure has turned away from him. I shall be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like a lily and cast out his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his splendor shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under the shadow shall return. They shall revive like grain and blossom like the vine and become as fragrant as the wine of Lebanon. What more has Ephraim to do with his idols? It is I who answer and look after him. I am like the green cypress tree. Your fruit comes from me. Go ahead and turn the page. Who is wise in understanding these words, discerning and knows them? For the ways of Yahovah are straight, and the righteous walk in them, 
but the transgressors stumble in them. So I want you to, if you turn back the page, sorry, page three in your notes, you go back to verse seven, and and hopefully you heard because I tried to put the emphasis on it because he said, look, I'm going to heal, and I'm going to turn back. Uh, I'm going to love. I'm going to cause Israel to blossom and all this stuff. That's God talking here. And in verse 7, he says, because those who dwell under his shadow shall return. That word there, dwell, it means you're going to have to pitch your tent. It's like the word tabernacle. It's, It's this word to spend time there. It's not just a confession of a belief system, but these actions. <clears throat> you have to search for and long for God. And basically say, God, I know you're God and I'm not leaving until you show up. No matter what else is going on, <clears throat> God, I want you and nothing else. At some point, we have to go, I'm tired of the idols. I'm tired of the way it's been done. I'm tired of these flippant answers I get, even in the church. I want God and God alone, and I'm not moving until He shows up. Folks, that's what repentance is. And He goes, those who dwell under His shadow, they are the ones that will return. Those are the ones that teshuva. Those are the ones that repent. Those are the ones that say, I want God. I'm tired of all this empty garbage. At some point, you got to say, I'm tired of the chigger bites. Where's the ointment? I'm tired of getting bit. God, can you show me your ointment? I want you, whatever that is in your life. You have to get to where you love God more than we love our junk. And until you can get to the point to where you desire God more than you desire your garbage, you're never going to get out of your garbage. And once you fall that deeply in love with your God, you learn to detest the garbage. And then why would you want to crawl back in the can? Why would you ever want to go back to that where the rats and the bugs and the snakes and the rotting flesh is? Why would you want to crawl back in there? That's what God is basically saying. That's what all these other gods, all these other demons, all that other stuff. Why would you want that? The only way you can ever deal with that is you have to fall in love with the one true God. And when you realize he's the one true God and everything else is false and death and decaying and rotting and it brings nothing but destruction in your life, then it becomes a simple choice. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to go over there and butt my head against that concrete wall again and again and again thinking it's a door? It's that silly. It's that ridiculous. And that's what God is telling us. He goes, look, if you will just dwell underneath my shadow, then you're going to return. Turn the page with me. I want you to see something here because he says, who is wise in understanding these words and discerning and knows them? 
And then he's going to give us this short explanation for the ways of Yahovah are straight. And the righteous, what do they do? They actually walk in what? His ways. We have to stop walking in the ways that we've dreamed up in the abominations of our own hearts. Thinking we've got it figured out. Putting gasoline on jigger bites. Fingernail polish, acetone, the list goes on and on and on. Taking baths in bleach water. And God's like, no. <laughs> no. Stop doing that. I've got a way, and it's straight. And those that are righteous will walk in it. If that's true, then what is unrighteousness? <laughs> Maybe I'm going to wait until you give me an answer. If being righteous means we're walking in His ways, then unrighteous is, is not walking in His ways. Hmm. They're straight. And it says that the transgressors, they're the ones that stumble in them, meaning they can't walk straight in His ways. They keep coming up with, yeah, but, you know, I just don't want to eat any more manna. I don't want to eat any more of your food, God. And He goes, okay, well, the trash can's over there. <laughs> you can go climb back in the trash can if you want. I got life for you. I got food from heaven. What do you mean you don't like the way it tastes? What do you mean you're tired of it? It's my food. Now watch what happens here when we get to the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 10, it says, because the scripture says, whoever puts his trust in him shall not be put to shame. Doesn't that sound like what we just read in Hosea? Because there is no distinction between Yehudite or a, a Jew and the Greek for the same master of all is rich to all those calling upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of Yahweh shall be saved. Everyone. That's Jew and non-Jew alike, right? I got one head shaking up and down, everybody else kind of... That's, that's everybody, right? <clears throat> but then it says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without one proclaiming? And how shall they proclaim if they are not sent? As it's been written, how pleasant are the feet of those who bring good news of peace, who bring the good news of the good or the, that gospel message. However, not all obey the good news for Yeshahayu or, or Isaiah says, Yahovah who has believed our report. So then belief comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God or from Elohim. But I asked, did they not hear? Yea, indeed, the voice went out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I asked, did Israel not know? And Moses said, I shall provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I shall enrage you, look at this, by an unwise nation. You find that fascinating? Verse 20, and Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those not seeking me, 
I was made manifest to those not asking for me. And to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and back-talking people. Well, you pay attention that this is right before chapter 11. We're in chapter 11. That's where God, where Moses, I'm, I'm sorry, where Paul says, has God rejected his people? And he goes, by no means. I want you to notice something here. <clears throat> it says, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. You look right back up at the top of your page, and then what does he says? Who is wise in understanding these words? Folks, wisdom comes from knowing the very word of God. So here's what's really fascinating as I was studying this going, you've got to be kidding me. You've really got to be kidding me. Are you serious? So he's prophesied all this stuff. <clears throat> he said, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go out. All these things. Are you wise in understanding and understand what all this means? Then here in Romans, Paul, because he understands these things, he was raised to be a Pharisee among Pharisees. <clears throat> and he's literally quoting Moses here, this is going to come up in the next chapter, in chapter 32. But he says, I shall provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I, I shall enrage you by an unwise nation. Who do you think that could possibly be? First of all, he says, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy by those who are not, a, they're not even a nation. Who is it that could provoke the people of Israel to jealousy that are not a nation? Us. And the sojourners, yeah. It's those that are believing in Yeshua for salvation, trying to walk right before Him. <clears throat> not a nation. But then it says, and this nation is what? Unwise. So what is, what is wisdom? Wisdom is, being, is studying in the Torah and understanding the Torah and understanding the very Word of God. And so God says, listen, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy and enragement by an unwise nation. I've said this before. You might have forgotten it, but they're literally teaching in the public schools in Israel how to deal with people like us. Claim to be Christian and still following the Torah. They're like, I don't understand. Aren't you Christian? They don't know what to do with us. And this is happening on a global scale. It's not just in America. It's happening with people that don't even have the internet. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> people are just coming to realize you mean Yahovah is his name and I'm supposed to read his Bible and do what he says and I believe in him for my salvation? And they're finding this is happening all over the place. And did you know that in the Muslim countries, a lot of the Muslim countries, they're literally now seeing visions of Jesus showing up and they're confessing him as their savior. By the thousands. The spirit of God is being outpoured because he said what? In the last days, you will see dreams and visions, and your young kids will even do this. Oh, my goodness. That's happening in our fellowship. You should hear these stories. Your kids are cool. 
These kids in our fellowship are just so cool. And they're, they're also, they're enraged by it. They literally call people like me an identity thief. And would think that I'm nuts for even thinking that I'm part of Ephraim. I've lost my mind. All I know is God scattered his people to the four corners of the earth and a whole lot of the Ephraimites ended up in this country and I'm now a believer. So whether I have that blood in me or not, I'm grafted in, amen? And so God says this is exactly what's going to happen. Paul knew this. God tells, tells Moses this and Paul repeats it in the chapter, in the... He didn't do it in chapters, but in the section right before he says, so has God rejected the Jew? By no means. I am a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee among Pharisees. Isn't that cool? And we're living in this time. And then look at 2 Peter and we'll close with this. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises what would those be all of those great and precious promises all the way back to the the book of genesis and following it's all of them so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now look at this. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What's he talking about there? You go right back to the Hosea 14 passage. Peter's talking to the exiles. I don't know if you realize this or not. You should. Those of you that have been here, we studied First, Second Peter. It's literally addressed to those of the, that were exiled in that area. He's talking to those lost tribes, and he's reminding them, listen, you've escaped from the things of the world. You're living out Hosea. You and I are living that prophecy, coming back and returning to God. Isn't that awesome? I'm I'm excited about it. Y'all might not be, but I'm excited about it. And then look what he says. For this very reason, what reason? Now, once again, you have to know where you came from. If you don't remember where you came from, where you're going becomes hard to hit. But if you really remember where you came from, it's a whole lot easier to stay straight, isn't it? Some of you that have had some hard pasts and all it takes is a few memories of going, oh, I ain't doing that again. Right? I ain't going there. That's just too much to pay. And we've all got those, right? Nobody in this room doesn't have something like that where you go, I don't don't do that again. Dear Jesus, please don't let me learn that lesson again. I want to have learned that one for life. Amen? 
So here's where Peter is saying the same thing again. So he goes, for this very reason. In other words, remember, remember where you came from. The book of Deuteronomy there by the, the, the ark. The list goes on and on. The words in your mouth being a testimony. Remember where you came from. Remember all the junk. Remember the garbage can you were living in and the junk you were eating and the garbage that was all over you and now where you are today and you're dressed in fine Clinton linen you've got a crown on your head you're going to reign and rule with Jesus you're walking with the king of kings remember where you came from and so he says since you know all that now look what he says for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue uprightness in other words and virtue with knowledge in other words read your bible people pray read your bible and repeat and knowledge self-control isn't it easier to have self-control when you've got better knowledge and it's so much easier to live in self-control when you realize that God's given you the right way to walk, therefore you don't have to worry about the wrong way to walk. When you're focusing on walking the right way, you're not walking the wrong way. And he goes, here's the right way to walk. Focus on me and my word, and I'll give you direction, and all the other stuff will start to melt away. It's really just that simple. And then with self-control, well, you basically need to stay at it. That's why I've been saying forever, read your Bible, pray, read your Bible, and repeat. Because what? We're dumb, dim-witted, and we forget. So you just got to keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing it. Steadfastness. And with steadfastness, godliness. And with godliness, brotherly affection. With brotherly affection, love. Then look what he says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. He's laying it out going, what I just said. If you'll keep doing these things and keep adding and that they are yours and this is what you're practicing, then you can't be unfruitful. Hallelujah. So here's what's really cool about all this. Your quote-unquote Christian walk doesn't have to be nebulous. Have you ever felt like, you know, living out your faith was kind of, you didn't know really what were you supposed to do, go to church, pray, be a good person, throw something in the plate, show up next week, do it again, show up the next week, do it again. Maybe you don't mess up while you're on the highway and cuss somebody out, right? And you just kind of, you know, try to, this is a quote, fake it till you make it, right? In your Christian walk, and you, you finally went, this is stupid. Anybody here other than me finally go, man, I'm done. This is, this is that's dumb. I'm, I'm like on this treadmill, and I'm not getting anywhere, sweating like crazy. I'm not getting anywhere. Nothing's making any sense. And you finally go, oh. So then God goes, no, if you do what I say, you keep doing it, you keep studying, you keep learning, you keep increasing your knowledge, you keep practicing it, you keep loving the brethren, love each other more than you love yourself. Try to become a servant instead of one who is being served. Try to sit where they seat you instead of being the one telling other people where they should be seating. 
We could go on and on about that kind of stuff, right? In the church. And so he says, if you will do these things, then they will keep you from being unfruitful. Meaning you will be fruitful. It'll keep you from being ineffective. And then it says in verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. You ever run into Christians? Felt that way? Have you ever felt that way yourself? That you, you can't figure out where the door is? In your walk with the Lord, you're like, I, I keep trying things and things just keep falling apart and I keep doing this and then I run into a brick wall and I, I do this and that blew up and I tried this and that blew up. And, right? <clears throat> and, and, just, and seemingly can't figure all this stuff out. He says, well, it's because we're not reading the Bible for what it says, practicing what it says, keep doing it, love each other more than we love ourselves, try to be a servant instead of a, uh, someone who's being served, uh, all that stuff, and increasing in that and add to all that godliness and everything. And those that don't do that are blinded. They're so nearsighted that they're blinded, meaning what? Nine times out of ten, it's, it's true, every, nine times out of ten, our focus is on nothing but us. I ain't looking at nothing but my own hand. I'm looking at my own stuff. I'm looking out for me. I mean, and that is the problem, isn't it? He's so nearsighted that he's blind. He says, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, there it is. If you forget where you came from and you don't know what you came out of, why would you keep doing what you're doing? You keep doing what we're doing according to what God said because we now know that by doing this, we're glorifying Him and we're not living in the trash can. And we're not there, out there running around with demons that are nothing more than wannabe gods. And that God says in His Word, He's standing in heaven laughing. Literally saying, are you kidding me? Really? Are you guys planning all this stuff? It's a joke. It's what it says in the Psalms. So then he goes on in verse 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, look at this, to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Oh, my goodness. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what's he saying through all this? Number one, this whole issue of walking this way is a big word in your Bible or in your lexicon. It's called sanctification. It's called walking out your faith on a daily basis and growing. Nobody has arrived. Nobody in this room has arrived. We're all walking this walk to try to please our king. And so what's he saying here? He's saying, so basically, repent, therefore, and turn to God that he might revive and restore. That's what he's about. That's what he said through this whole section here. Why is all this so important? Well, because we just celebrated the Day of Trumpets. This... Wednesday is Day of Atonement. 
Day of Atonement. Atonement means covering. Okay? So these 10 days between Day of Trumpets to Day of Atonement are called the 10 days of awe and 10 days of repentance because there's this day coming when the sins are covered. Okay? They're covered. We know that Yeshua's taken care of it, right? But that's for our entrance. Doesn't mean we've stopped sinning. Right? That's why it says in 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There it is of not walking in his ways. That's for believers. So we still have to love each other, confess our sins daily. And understand it's not about me and it's not about everything that I'm quote unquote doing. It's about me trying to glorify him and every single time I mess up, Dear sweet Jesus, Yeshua, God Almighty, please forgive me for being such an idiot again. It's this sanctification and coming before Him and confessing our sins constantly. And so this day of atonement is this time of covering, and it's a time for us to even think about, okay, I want to walk closer to God. So what is it that's in between me and walking closer to God? It's really just that simple. You do realize it's not your boss that's keeping you from walking closer to your God. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. It's not your debt. It's not your income. It's not your health. It's not your age. It's not your aches and pains. It's you. It's nothing outside, it's you and whatever it is that you're doing or done or whatever and that you haven't confessed or that you haven't made right. So we need to search our hearts. If you truly want to walk with God, don't you get tired of people whose intellectual construct just doesn't work? Facebook's making me really nuts. I'm about ready to put a gun through my computer. It's just nuts. But I get so tired of people whose their thinking construct just doesn't work and it's not consistent. So let's keep it in here, okay? We're all believers, right? Everybody in here a believer? Everybody in here want to walk closer to your God? I'm assuming that's why we're here, right? You want to walk closer to God? Well, your walking closer to God is not dependent upon me. Your walking closer to your God is totally dependent upon you and understanding what it is that He wants you to do. But if you have things in your life that's clouding your understanding of what he's saying, you need to get that stuff out of your life so that now you can see and understand. And the only way to do that is through repentance and confessing to him, you know what, God, my attitude towards my wife is really bad and I'm, please forgive me of that. Or my attitude towards my husband just really stinks. Or I go to work every single day thinking my boss is a blooming idiot. And I'm frustrated every single day, every time I go in there. And 
Maybe God wants you to repent of that, and instead of going in there with that kind of attitude, go in there with the attitude of you're going to be a light in a dark place and share the truth. We could go on and on, right? But each one of us needs to look into our own lives and say, God, what is it in my life that's keeping me from walking that one step closer to you so that I don't even want to go back to the trash can? You can grow accustomed to the taste of bad food. Did you know that? You keep eating it long enough. Before long, you think that's good stuff. When I was a little kid, we had cornbread all the time. I love cornbread. I'd look over at my dad. After the meal was over, he'd ask my mom for some milk. You already know what I'm talking about. And my dad would take a big old glass of milk and he'd take all the leftover cornbread and he'd break it up and put it down in that milk and get him a spoon and start eating that. And I tried it once and I was like, what is wrong with you, dad? That's that nasty. I don't, I don't even understand. And he looked at me and he said, son, when you grew up and that was your dessert at every meal, you learned to love it. And he goes, I love this. And I was like, well, praise God for strawberry shortcake. <laughs> you know, I was like, because, uh, you know, I don't know. But he grew up, and I've got some head nodding here where you have fathers or, or whatever that did the same thing. And my dad did grow up during the Depression, and, and that was their dessert. You can get accustomed to eating bad food, and you think you're eating good stuff. But, man, once you've tasted some good stuff, why would you want to go back? Right? Never, ever be satisfied with less than the best. And God is the best. Why settle for second best when you can have the best? And God is the best. And He loves you. And He said all this stuff thousands of years ago. This is what gives me glory bumps. And you and I are living it. He's pouring out his spirit. He's showing these truths. And you don't have to become a Torah terrorist and all this other stuff. We just follow what he said, love God, love people, do our best, and just love him. And man, isn't it cool? I think it's awesome. Awesome. 